0: Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Live with Doug. We are thinking through God's Word together. Great to have you along with us. Hey, CM. Hey, Nathan Lewis. How are you there in Canada? It's good to uh, good to be with you again. Did you have a great celebration with the Body of Christ yesterday? I hope so. We sure did. Uh, for those of you that are new around here, we have uh, we've had a home fellowship for over a year now, and it is just it is. It is amazing. It is by far the best Christian experience uh, and fellowship and com- community I've ever been a part of. It's a, it's amazing. Uh, these people love one another. They love the Lord and they love His Word. Uh, we had people show up about ten a.m. yesterday, and I think the last ones left about nine thirty p.m. Uh, it was, it was a great, great day. So I hope you also were edified and encouraged and uh, celebrated the Lord's goodness. So today we are continuing on our study of the book of Hebrews, and it has been a great study. We're heading into chapter 11, which is a section that for many of us, it's a favorite. We call it the Hall of Faith, right? And uh, it should encourage your hearts. Well, let's catch the context. Uh, Remember, the author here is concerned about his friends, his his Christian friends, former Jews, who are uh, tempted to go back to Judaism. And here's, uh, here's kind of the heart of what he's after. Remember the former days. Right? They are under persecution. He says, remember how things started for you. When after being enlightened, that is coming to knowledge of the gospel and believing it, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations. So you all were on display for everyone as they afflicted you. And partly by, by becoming sharers with those who were so treated, and remember we discussed that, the sharer here is, uh, is the word we get our word fellowship from, you fi- financially participated with those who were being persecuted. You helped them, you loved them in that way. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. So you, you can see what his, uh, his reminder is about. You were willing to give money, to give time, to participate in the suffering, and you did it joyfully because you knew what was awaiting you, this possession. You would, you'd give up these earthly possessions because you knew the eternal possessions that were coming were far better and they would last and you couldn't lose them. You had faith. You trusted in the promises of God. You trusted that no matter what comes in this life, what comes after this life for you is not worthy to be compared. You sort of think of Paul, right, to the Corinthians. Uh, This momentary affliction is not worthy to be compared with the weight of glory, the the thing that's waiting for us. That's, That's where these people were but they're wavering now. They're taking their eyes off of the eternal reward and they are tempted to let go of their confidence in Christ to avoid persecution. He says, therefore, do not throw away your confidence. Confidence is a, is a boldness to stand firm, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, don't we all? So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. God has given you this promise, and you need to hold fast doing the will of God, trusting Christ, not wavering, and when you have accomplished the mission he's given you, then you will receive what was promised then he quotes from Habakkuk, for yet a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. If he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. And then he gives this word of exhortation, but we are not those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. And then he gives this statement, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Remember we talked about what hope is. Hope is a certain expectation, not a mere wish. It's something you know is true, it's happening, it's just not here yet. Faith is that assurance, that substance, that, that standing on that foundation of what you're hoping in. It's the, the conviction of things you don't see. For by it, by faith, men of old gained approval. God expressed his approval. He was pleased with those who held on to trusting his promises, even though they had not yet received the benefit of those promises. And now he's going to walk through, really starting at the very beginning, Genesis 1.1. He's going to walk through the men and women in the Old Testament who trusted God even with things they couldn't see yet. They trusted that he was good, that he would fulfill his promises, that he, he would do all that he said he would do. And the author here is going to use them as examples for his audience, and therefore they're good examples for us to hold fast until the end. Hey, those of you who are joining us now, Ron and Rob and Ken, and uh, is it Kismet Queen? <laughs> Kismet? And uh, David... Bickert fan. I don't know what that means. That's funny. He says, Thank you, brother. I'll have to catch up later on. Really appreciate that he's good. Well, I'm glad you could pop on for a moment. All right. So we want approval from God. We should. We want to please him. We want him to, to be pleased with us and express that. And we do that by faith. So let's look at this first one here in verse three. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. Let me read that again. By faith, by trust, by belief, those are all synonyms, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. Uh, if you see here in the New American Standard, those, who, those of you who are with us here on the video, there's a little little footnote, a little index note here uh, for your margin notes, and that tells you that this word worlds is the word ages, literally. Ages are a term we use to describe time right the, the epics the eras the the progress of temporal things which which has to do with time whereas we think of world as uh, sort of the, the physical earth right the the, um, the 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 planet kind of thing so it's the word ages and it's it is interesting it can be, it, it becomes used in, in antiquity when you think of the time frame, the ages, as um, it, it becomes a synonym almost for the, the, the spatial things, the 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 world, the, the earth, as we would call it. Uh, it is interesting that the NAS here translates this worlds instead of world. Anyway, if you think back to creation, if you think back to... Uh, time and space and material sort of all beginning at the same time. That's that's sort of what's in view here. And notice what he says. We understand that the worlds or the ages were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. Think about this. Were you there when God created the heavens and the earth? That's what Genesis 1.1 says, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Were you there? Of course not. Were any of the members of the congregation that the writer of Hebrews is writing to, were any of them there at the beginning? Of course not. Even Moses, who wrote Genesis, was not there at creation. So why do we think that God, out of nothing, out of, out of no visible things, made all the things we can see? because we believe him, right? We take it on faith. God said in his word, we're convinced that Genesis is God's word, that he, by his spirit, inspired the writers of the scripture to write down what happened. So that when Genesis says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and there was nothing in existence prior to that, then we believe, we trust him, we take him at his word that he made all the visible things out of that which is invisible. That he spoke and the sun appeared and he spoke and the moon appeared. And he spoke and all the stars appeared and he spoke in the, the waters and, and the mountains and everything, right? The plant life, the animals. We, we believe that because God said that's how it happened even though we weren't eyewitnesses. There's a lot of, uh, how do I say this? There are a lot of things that people believe today, Christians even, at least professing Christians, that are wrong and dangerously wrong because we waver in our commitment to God creating the heavens of the earth. Uh, it's somewhat surprising to me how many Christians are quick to trust scientists, quote unquote, who say the earth is billions of years old and still want to believe in creation, but they go back and look at Genesis and try to find a way and a place to make Genesis fit with evolution. And uh, you know the, the billions and billions of billions of years of existence of the earth and that kind of thing. And what I often try to remind people of is when the earth began, that is an historical question. It's not a scientific question. You, you can't put it under a microscope and examine it. You, you can't have control experiments. it, it You can't apply the scientific method to the origin of the universe. It's a historical question. What actually happened in history? And so we have scientists who argue from a a variety of perspectives trying to decide what happened in history. And we have God's word where he tells us what happened in history and how quickly and easily do Christians abandon God's word for the words of men. Now, they don't say they're doing that. No, they're saying, we have the scientific evidence and the Bible. We believe both, so we're trying to reconcile them. Well, what's going to happen? Even, even rank unbelievers like uh, Scott Adams. I don't know if you know who he is. He's the Dilbert creator. This guy, and he he's uh, he's a lot had a lot of impact. He's written several books that that are widely read and that kind of thing. Uh, he he does not believe in God, uh, but he's convinced that evolution. Is going to be, you know, a laughingstock kind of uh, theory here in in his lifetime, or at least in some of our lifetimes. Soon, he's been saying that for years. He just evolution has no uh, no rational basis for it. And again, he's not doing saying that to try to protect cre- uh, creation and, and scripture. He he just sees it from his perspective, saying it can't have happened that way. So what's going to happen to all these Christians when, when evolution is exposed, again, uh, to be a very poor explanation of things? What's going to happen? To, what, what are these Christians going to be who have abandoned their trust in the Word of God for these false theories that can't be proven? I uh, see him here saying the James Webb telescope has disproved the Big Bang. There are certainly uh, some of those reports that have said that, uh, that the universe is not expanding the way they think it is, and, and so on. It's, we trust that God is the only one that was there in, in history when he created everything. And that's what he tells us. I did this. This is how I did it. This is when I did it. This is what I did. Out of nothing, I made the heavens and the earth. So we do, we believe that by faith. Notice what he says here. By faith, we understand. We, we don't abandon our thinking but we understand these things because we believe God. We don't believe what we see and what, what. well, again, we can't even go back and see what happened. We believe God. So that's Genesis one, two, three. Now he gets to Genesis four. He says, by faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain. So We know this story. I'm going to go back and read it for you here in a minute, but we know the story of Cain and Abel, and we tend to think about Cain's murder of his brother, right? Am I, am I my brother's keeper and the mark of Cain? We, we kind of know all that, but here the author of Hebrews is appealing to Abel's faith. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying, so God spoke, about Abel's gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. Abel had faith, God was pleased with Abel's faith, and Abel is still speaking to us, even though he's dead. All right, so let's go back and, and uh, check the story out and see if we can discern where the writer of Hebrews is getting his information. So here's how Genesis four goes. Now, the man, that's Adam, had relations with his wife, Eve. Literally, he knew his wife. He he had sex with her. And she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten the man-child with the help of the Lord. Again, she gave birth to his brother, Abel. Abel was a keeper of flocks. Cain was a tiller of the ground. I've heard some people argue that God preferred Abel's sacrifice because he brought animals. A blood sacrifice, that kind of thing. And he was not pleased with Cain because Cain brought uh, wheat or some some fruit of the of the plants that he the crops he grew. I don't see anything anywhere in the scripture that says that was the issue. I don't I don't think that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. I don't see an indication in Genesis or anywhere else that God wanted Cain to to bring an animal sacrifice. Rather what I see here is, remember Adam and Eve are born in this garden and they're told to cultivate it and they've got these animals, they've got plants and I think there's just a division of labor. God raises Cain, God, Adam raises Cain. <laughs> Sorry, that's a funny, funny phrase, raising Cain, right? Adam raised Cain to take care of animals and then he had another son, Abel. He taught him how to take care of. I'm sorry, got that backwards. He he raised Cain and had Cain uh, taking care of the crops, and he had Abel taking care of the animals. It all had to be done, and Adam, the father, taught them how to do different things. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. That's a good thing to do, honor the Lord with your produce. Cain brought an offering from his crops to the Lord, that's good. Abel on his part brought of the firstlings of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Do you see the difference between those two? For those of you who can't see this, who are working out or driving in your car, let me, let me read this again and see if you can catch the difference between the offerings. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. What's the difference? Well, of course, you'd say one difference is one is fruit and one is uh, animals but I don't think that's the difference that matters to God. Abel brought of the firstlings. See that? I think this is why the writer of Hebrews says, Abel brought his in faith. What's the difference? If you bring the first fruits, the first produce to God, or you bring some produce to God later on after you've gathered some crops, what's the difference? Well, if you're depending on your productivity to survive, the first fruits, the first lings, as it's called here, that's significant, that you need to eat that, right? You've got animals and they're producing uh, they're producing fruit, they're producing offspring, and you bring the first ones to God, well, that's what you could be eating. But you are trusting God by bringing him the first. You're trusting him that he's, he will provide more. It appears to me that Cain got around to bringing the fruit of the ground at some point, but it wasn't his first fruits. I think that's what the writer of Hebrews means when he says Abel brought a better sacrifice because he brought it through faith. He brought his first fruits because he trusted that God would provide more. He trusted in the blessings of God. he he, He was standing on what he was hoping for. He was expecting God to do more good later, so he brought him the first fruits. Whereas Cain, he eventually brought something to God. But I think the implication is he ate the first fruits himself. Does that make sense? You tracking with me? You see the difference? If you've already collected, if you've already gathered a great deal of your crops and then you bring some to God as an offering, that doesn't take faith because your storehouse is full. You've already collected enough. You know you're going to be able to eat for a while. So then, yeah, you go bring in some to God because that's what he wants you to do. If you take the first produce of your farming and you bring that to God and you don't have anything else to eat yet, you are bringing this in faith saying, I'm going to give you, in this case with animals, I'm going to kill these animals and offer them to you as sacrifices, which I, I could eat them, but I'm trusting you that you're going to provide more. So I'm bringing these first as a sacrifice to you. That takes faith, whereas it doesn't take faith to give of what you've already collected. Does that make sense, you tracking? Uh, I see a uh, couple comments here. Let me me see what you got. Rob says, uh, you're not holding back even on the first things, exactly. Kismet Queen says, so you're saying Cain's sacrifice wasn't rejected because it was salad? Exactly. (laughs) But I have indeed heard several sermons harping on animal sacrifice versus produce as the issue, and I have never. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Yes, I don't think it's uh... (laughs) I love that. (laughs) That's good. She says, uh, I'm glad you're pointing this out. Um, Rob says, could this be about correct versus incorrect application of worship? Um, Well, what is worship? All right worship is uh, uh, it's serving God and bowing down to him. If by uh, worship you mean something like what we do on Sunday mornings, you should watch some of my other series. I don't think Sunday morning is about worship. Uh, we shouldn't call it a worship service. And uh, it's a distortion of what worship is. But if it means our whole life serving the Lord, then yes, um, we need to live lives of faith, trusting in what we can't see, trusting God's promises, both temporary and eternal. I mean, I think the focus of Hebrews is you all are suffering, and and it may be that you're going to die for your faith. But you're willing to do that if you trust that death is not the end, but death is that doorway into eternal life and all the promises there. That's what he's calling them to. For us who are not being threatened right now, there are plenty of other promises God has made both here, you know, here now and eternally. And we need to trust him and therefore we bring him our first fruits. We, we act as though we believe God is going to take care of us. So in some cases, it may be about finances. Uh, It may be that we are, um, there are people in need, Christians, uh, for example, and we have the money to help them, but we're a little bit concerned about, well, what are we going to have if we help them now? Well, the scripture would say, you help them, you help the brother, and trust the Lord that he will provide for you. That's what the scripture says again and again. Uh, all of our lives needs to be oriented around this idea that what I can see, what I can't see is not the point. What does God say he's going to do? And am I willing to trust him and, and act on that trust? That's that's the life of faith. Uh, Rob says, I agree on Sunday morning about not being about worship, therefore it would be an incorrect application. Okay, Good. If you can see the end, if you can um, determine the outcome, if you're in control of the situation, it doesn't require faith, does it? Uh, hey, Brooklyn. Brooklyn says, I appreciate how you've pointed out the difference in believing in God versus believing God and what he says. Haven't thought about that. Yeah, I mentioned that last week too, right? The uh, believing in God, all of us, all Christians and, you know, the surveys say so many you know, I don't know, percentage, but somewhere between 75 and 90% of the people in America say they believe in God. Well, that's kind of the easy part. The question for us is, do we believe him? Do we trust him? Do we take him at his word? If he says something, do we believe it? Whether or not we can see it. Faith is required when we can't see the end. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is reminding his people of. Great comments. Thank you, everyone. Uh, our time is up. Uh, but give this some thought and, and think through where do you need to strengthen your belief in what God has said? Trust him. Take him at his word. Things that you can't see. And hold fast to those promises even when your eyes say, uh, I'm not sure. That's that's the kind of faith he's pleased with. Have a great day, everyone. And Lord willing, we'll see you back here tomorrow. Take care.